0: we're going to continue our series. I'm going to dive straight into it, but we've been on a a series reimagining discipleship, reimagining foundations, and the thing that is really foundational in our Christianity is discipleship, and what does that mean? What actually is it to be a disciple of Jesus? So I've had some good feedback. Who's appreciating this series? It's a really good Refresh. you know what I've found that the power is in the basics when people go off seeking all kinds of deeper things I have rarely seen it lead to fruitfulness where I've seen real fruitfulness in the Christian life is when Christians stick to the basics I love Jesus I serve him I share him wherever I go there you go there's the basics and uh, and whenever we're moving in those basics then our Christianity becomes incredibly fruitful Uh, As we've crossed this, just looking back over some of the messages, we've defined a disciple as meaning simply nothing more than teachable. That's it. That's what a disciple is. If you've got a teachable spirit, you're a disciple. It doesn't matter, you know, how how messed up you might be. If you're open, then Jesus would call you disciple because you're ready to learn. Um, The spirit of a disciple, which is to serve, to follow and to do it for God alone. A lot of people are whinging. And complaining about how they, to tell you the truth, and this does it does happen. I'm not negating that. But sometimes when I hear people whinge and complain about get ser- getting served in Jesus, I realise they're the same people who once said to me, "Thank you for the opportunity." We put our hand up, or we go on an altar and say, "God, use me," and God does, and then we say, "I've been used." So we looked at the spirit of a disciple. I think it was a good refresher, a good reminder for us. And that's not to negate people who've had genuine issues. The power source of the disciple, which was Pentecost Sunday. Remember that one, Chad? Happy birthday for yesterday, mate. Was it 40? Our little Chad turned 40. I can't believe it. Mama Sue. That means when we first came here, you were 19. I feel old now, I tell you. Uh, Then we looked at the disciples' focus. So we looked at the power of the Holy Spirit. Everyone lit up to that message, like we tend to do when we talk about the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk about him a bit more today. And uh, then the disciples' focus is to seek the kingdom, of course, in a culture and in a world that is so distracting. Pouring trillions of dollars into distracting us. We actually have to stay on focus that this is about seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. So I want to read Matthew 28 as we begin today because it's sort of a cornerstone discipleship passage. Of course, it's the Great Commission, uh, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, amen amen who believes Jesus is with them today hey we're in church you're allowed to admit it and if you're just a guest or visiting or maybe one 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 of those people who've only just begun a faith journey don't get freaked out it's okay to get excited about Jesus if if we what we believe about Jesus is true it's okay to get excited about him okay so who believes Jesus is with you do you realize it's for one purpose If, if, if God's aim was to take you to heaven, you'd already be there. Who thinks God can, can fulfil his own goals? He's got the ability to do that. So if it was about going to heaven, we'd be there. There's a reason we're here, because he gave us a commission. It's all about making disciples. So if you think Jesus is with you, there's one reason for that. And that is to share his love And the good news of the gospel, that God's not angry with you. God's not against you. As a matter of fact, he paid an incredible price to show you that the door was wide open to relationship. So that's our mission. And again, this uh, last season has been been a little bit difficult for that. But I tell you, if ever there was a time to uncircle the wagons, because that was the message of the COVID season, wasn't it? Circle the wagons, play it safe. If ever there was a time. To uncircle the wagons, it's right now. So we have part five of our series, The Heart of a Disciple. The Heart of a Disciple. And I just want to define heart. What's your heart? Because the Bible talks about your heart. It sometimes interchanges this concept of, of your heart. We're not talking about your beating you know fleshy organ here we're actually talking about sort of a an internal inner man kind of a concept and it often you know interchanges it with our uh, with our soul Uh, But what I've always believed, the the soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. You can understand it that way, your inner world. And I think the heart is actually the expression of that, the expression of the mind, the will, and the emotions. So, for example, someone who is a generous-hearted person expresses that. They make decisions. They are moved in their emotions by generosity or by compassion and the need to show generosity. That's sort of how we express ourselves out of our heart. And so that inner person, our soul is our mind, will and emotions and then it is expressed. It's like filtered through the kind of heart. It's like a final filter. And we all know someone who's the opposite. We all probably know someone who's a bit stingy and it's a stingy heart. Heart, they make decisions, you know, based maybe more on fear or on a critical or a negative or a narrow spirit rather than a generous spirit. Now, I know none of you would know anyone like that. You're all looking at me really strangely. So, we're talking about that part of us, sort of, that, that is the final filter for who we are. And interestingly, a couple of weeks ago, we sort of defined the power source of. The, um, of the disciple, which was Pentecost. and as I said, it resonated with so many of us. So I want to return to it really quickly today with Romans chapter eight and verse 11. One of my uh, all-time favorite passages when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, "But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life." The King James Version renders it literally as quicken. He'll give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit, which dwells in you. And I love this, the Greek word that's translated, will give life. The old King James uses it like literally, it says, will quicken you. Will quicken you. It's like a little electric shock. If the same one who raised Jesus from the dead, meaning God the Father, by the eternal spirit, hits a dead body three days later and out he comes out of the tomb, what Paul is, he's drawing this parallel. It's like, what's your excuse? If that same spirit dwells in you. Come on, speak to your soul. The same spirit dwells in you, he'll give life. This is what that word literally means. I love it. It means to bear living young to bear living young. If the Spirit of God, amen, if the Spirit of God comes upon you, someone's with me today, if the Spirit of God comes upon you, it actually will bring reproductive life. You might be saying, well, Jesus is with me, I know, and yes, I know I should be more excited about the mission, but I just don't really know how I could effectively reach someone. If the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then there is something in the womb of your spirit you're able to actually bring life to other people. We should be far more excited about that. Do I need to preach that line again? It also means to arouse and invigorate to endue with new or greater powers of life to cause to germinate or to spring up. It's like it will put a spring in your step. If the Holy Spirit's in you, you get a spring in your step. People for years have talked to me whenever I get to preaching like this. You know, well, you're so, still so enthusiastic. They were saying that when I was 40. When it was like, oh, you should be slowing down a bit now. Here, I'm 50, 58 this year. I still feel, feel fairly invigorated, I can tell you. But it's not because Chris is a happy person. Ah, uh, Sue, I'm not happy all the time. But whenever I start talking about the Holy Spirit and recognise what He's done in my life, what He's doing in my life, who He is right now in my life, I realise that something's quickened in my spirit. There's life in here that I need to give. So don't say you haven't got it. If Jesus is with you, you've got it. And you've got it for one reason, to make disciples of all people to help people see Jesus and follow him you're anointed to do it you're empowered to I know that's freaking half the people in here out if not 70 80 percent of us come on who would be honest if it's like oh if you're telling me I got to be an evangelist tomorrow why am Paul told me I've got to be one and I'm not I'm a pastor he told Timothy do the work of an evangelist he didn't say become one in other words, for some people, they're naturally gifted to just win people, but he said, everyone else, it's still your responsibility. you just do it a different way. You know, I've seen evangelists get up and talk about their red cattle dog that lived under a water tank and bit people on the ankle and then give an altar call and see five or six people that you've been believing for for 10 years come to Christ immediately. And it's like, that was the worst preaching I've ever heard. But there's a gift. But the rest of us, It's a bit of work. That's what Paul says, do the work. Reach out, be intentional. Love people. Have people into your home. Have people for a meal. Join a club. I've done that recently. I'll tell you more about that soon. Do something to be proactively involved in the work. I better hurry because I'm not even into the beginning of my message yet. (laughs) I've got to finish off. The Spirit of God's in you puts a sprig in your step. It's like enthusiasm. Jack, you're enthusiastic. But other people, maybe you need a spring put back in your step. Maybe you aren't quite as enthusiastic as you wish that you were. Well, I'll tell you a key. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. I love this. The Greek word for enthusiasm, we actually pull straight from the Greek language into our English language, the word enthusiasm. It comes from the Greek word, enthusiasmos. And the root word of thus there is theo, which means God. So to en is to put in and theo is... God, enthusiasm means to have God in you <laughs> and if the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you yeah. Yeah. Good. you have permission to be enthusiastic yeah, Josh permission to be enthusiastic see I'm picking on people all around the room but only the ones I love dearly which is most of you okay we'd better get into the message are you convinced we're on a mission we've been given the spirit for reason you've got what it needs even though for some of us it's hard work it's not just this gift that happens it's it's work we've got to be intentional we've got to go out of our way to meet people and connect with people and and not browbeat them with our beliefs but love them and reveal Christ to them through our actions, through the way we build our lives. And then with our words. Here's some thoughts on the heart of a disciple. What's the heart of a disciple? I think it's a faith heart. A faith heart. I'm just going to pick some random thoughts here because these just come from me thinking about what is, what is it to have the heart of a disciple? John 14, verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me The works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Have you ever thought, that's ridiculous, Jesus? You're going to compare me with the Son of God? Come on, let's be honest. If you you have never read that and gone, that's ridiculous, you've never really read it. Come on, Jesus, me do greater things than you, and often it's because we think miracles, Does that mean I'm going to feed 20,000 people? You know, once you've opened the eyes of the blind, I mean, you don't have a long way to go. Once you've raised the dead, it's like, I'm not sure where you go to get greater from that. Excuse me. But of course, Jesus is talking about the kingdom because I'm going to the Father, something's going to break out amongst you that is so much bigger than what just touched Palestine. So much bigger than what just touched this little part of the world. And look at us. Here it is. It's happening right now. The greater things. Jesus thinks kingdom and it requires faith to see it, to believe it. And when we talk about faith, we're not talking about a right set of beliefs. A lot of people define their faith by what they believe. It's like, did Adam have a belly button or not? And we draw a line down there and it's like, that's ridiculous. Faith is defined by what you do, what moves you to action in obedient response to the Holy Spirit's calling. Real faith is, I'm trusting Jesus will meet me when I get out of the boat. It's not, well, I've settled the issue. Adam definitely did have a belly button. God went... (laughs) And yet some Christians die on that hill and leave greater things undone. Any Christian who becomes critically entwined in nitty-gritty side issues, I have never seen fruitfulness in their life. But when we stick to the basics, this is all about winning people to Jesus walking graciously with them as they embrace the cross. Those people around, I see your faces right now. You're around in church 30 years later. Because we've been around this church. <laughs> yep, 32 years or something like that. Come on, let's get on mission. You know, when, you, when it comes to faith, I look at the heart for the house season we're in, we're actually sitting in of faith, this was an eight-year process of finding a building and raising money and taking massive faith steps. I can remember the first time we borrowed $1.4 million. Honestly, my heart was in my mouth for, a couple of, for two years till my accountant said we had it down to like 600000 in two years and said, the bank loves you. What are you doing? And I, I, I was just shocked that we were doing so well. It seemed like such a crazy thing to do. And yet, that investment... We're we're sitting in that. That investment led to other investments, led to other faith steps, and we've just pursued God and gone for faith, and it just continues to unfold. Faith is a doing word, and it's not only overflowed into, you know, buildings and facilities, which I'll talk about right at the end. It's, It's actually touched a lot, a lot of people outside of us, it's been fantastic the last several years to be tithing off our heart for the house. Our tithe off the heart for the house offering last year was nearly 20 grand into missions. And that's pretty cool, into world mission. Um, so that's just moving with the spirit of a disciple, or the heart of a disciple, which is a heart of faith. If you add to that, so I put it this way, plus generosity, I've got a note to myself, begin preaching here. Plus generosity, so I'd better move. That clock's lying, I know it is. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 to 8. And as you go, Jesus said, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. It's interesting here, Jesus didn't say get caught up in what's right and what's wrong, what should be and what shouldn't said, go and preach that God's doing something right here, right now, and it's always going to heal you and bring your life back together. That was Jesus' message, but that's aside, that's not what I'm preaching. What he did say was, freely you've received, right at the end of it, freely give. The heart of a disciple, freely you've received, freely give. He wanted them to flow in what they'd experienced. Simple as that. He wanted them to flow in what they experienced and we are here today because of them no other reason and Jesus said to go and do it in a world that is far less stable at the moment you know we do know there's changing economic times all kinds of things it's a reality the days Jesus sent these guys into were far more unstable crazy and they were sent to people that would hate them. He even warned them. He said, they'll kill you for my sake. You're going to go out into a world where diseases that we cure with the simplest of medications nowadays will kill you plumb dead in their day. And they still went out and did it. And we are sitting here today because they took that faith step and they were generous with their lives. They realised God has done something in my heart. And I must let that overflow to impact the lives of others. And it's the only reason we're sitting here today. It's the heart of a disciple. They went out into a very hostile world, a violent world. And we are here today because they did. And I am so convinced that this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of the world. Their mandate was, well, you need to take it on, guys. This generation that you're living in, and many of, the, many of the writers said it was a wicked and evil generation, it had all kinds of problems, but you're responsible for it. And they took responsibility, and here we are. And I believe we have to take responsibility. You know, to me, great faith communities like this are built on people freely giving what we've freely received. So get the heart. Of a disciple. Just as an aside, look, if you're online with us today, and you're online, and I understand this, if you're online thinking through a few things because of health concerns or family pressures, you live in a remote area, maybe you've got kids that really struggle in a bright, loud environment. I get that, and it's awesome. Thank you for being online. Yeah. That's what online is for. Can you hear my heart on this? If you're online, because it's convenient, I've only got one word. You need to repent. You need to turn that self-centered, selfish spirit around and get back on mission. Because it's very hard to freely give what you've freely received in isolation. Sorry, I'm just saying it how I see it. But I tell you, we've been given this big option now. And as much as it is convenient, and I praise God for it, every week people say, I was really crook, but I caught you online. Fantastic. That's what it's there for. But honestly, if it's just an excuse to sleep in a bit longer, there's something really crazy about this. Recently, I I decided I was going to re-engage our community. I went along to a business network meeting. I was invited to one, a business network one. Anyway, we got there, breakfast was shouted, you know, expectations were pretty high to join this thing and I was there in our charity status. And so a few people seemed pretty excited to see us there. I'm sitting there and uh, I'm sitting next to the person who was sort of sponsoring me and explaining everything to me. First thing we did in that meeting, they had a slide presentation that was about attendance and why you needed to be at every meeting you could be. Or send a representative, at least. Otherwise you'd be put back out. I got to, the, got to the end of it. And this guy, Daniel, really sweet guy. He said, what do you think of that? I said, can I get a copy of the slideshow? I want to play it to the church. <laughs> I know I'm preaching to the converted. You're here. You're here. But honestly, if we don't set the expectation, our world already has. Our world already has. I joined a music club. I didn't go with the business one. It was too serious. <laughs> I joined a music club. The Garden City Country Music Club. <laughs> Woo! Oh, they're my people. Bendy. Bendy, I found myself. My heart at home. And, and you know what? There's an expectation. People turn up early to set up. They stay back late to pack down. They ring people and say, hey, do you need a lift? They meet them at their car and say, do you need a lift with that amplifier? All kinds of things. It's just, it's a club and it's functioning and no one's even telling people to do it. There's just an expectation. I tell you what, if you can find country music fans that are more passionate about country music than you are about Jesus, I've got one word for you repent, get the heart of a disciple that realise I've freely received, I freely give myself away for the sake of Christ, for his people and those I haven't even met yet. That's what always amazes me, people in the past have been prepared to literally lay down their lives for people like you and I that they would never, never know. And that's what reveals the spirit of Christ in a human being. No reward, no tangible payback, just laying your life down for love. The heart of a disciple. So, the mission of Christ, it's it's not a big option. You know what I found? If you treat it as an option, when you go, Well, I'll give when I have money left over, I'll go when I have time when it suits me, what i found through the years is the devil will make sure you've never got money left over and you've never got time. (laughs) It's that simple. And so we have to make a choice and put a stake in the ground. It's called the heart of a disciple. And can I encourage you again today, if you're baptised, you're in the ministry. (laughs) Don't wait for someone to say, get in the ministry, you're in it. You're in it. You're serving Jesus now. Okay, last point, then I'm going to close. You okay? Go on a few minutes over. Depending on how encouraging you are, it'll only be a minute or two. What I do see is that when you have faith and generosity, and whatever expression that is, what you end up with is legacy every time. And there's something in the heart of a disciple that recognises legacy. When I think about it, Those early disciples who were giving their lives literally, physically, for their faith and for following generations, determined to carry the torch and the flame, even to their own personal crosses, they could only have done it with an expectation that they would be leaving something behind, that they'd be leaving a deposit that would be taken up so that others could experience what they had experienced so legacy is no more than a heart for generations. I think it's the heart of a disciple. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, the first part of the verse says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And I think, you know, if I was ever asked, why is the focus at New Hope always seem to have been so much on kids and youth and young adults, next generation, next generation, next generation coming through. It's, um, I'm pretty convinced that if we drop the ball for one generation, we're extinct It's really that simple. It is always about legacy. It's never about us in the moment. We experience what others have paid for. And then as we serve and give ourselves into this season, someone else will actually benefit from it. Church is always that critical. And you might say, why the focus on facilities? And I I just want to take a moment to explain it. I've always seen facilities as a stake in the ground. Of course, facilities facilitate things. Pretty, pretty simple. And hopefully they facilitate great ministry or they facilitate, you know, a means of of uh, ministry like, you know, why a childcare centre? Well, not only will our kids get, you know, great kids facilities, but we're hoping to connect with the community hugely through that. It's actually a missional project, Um, facilities facilitate connection to community, ministry, God encounters, training next generation leaders. Ultimately, what is a facility? It's just a rallying point. There's nothing special about the building at all. It's not a church. We're the church. That's what the Bible says. We're the church. We're the living stones. But it's great to rally somewhere, isn't it? And if you don't think that's important, just look at the tactics of the enemies of faith. Communism, for years and years and years and years, it's got a classic two-fold strategy. Kill the leaders, burn the buildings. ISIS, kill the leaders, burn the buildings. How do you kill it? The fact is that the enemies of God sometimes recognise what the strength of the church is more than the average Christian does. It's actually our ability to rally and train and impart to the next generation That moves people out on mission. That means that another whole generation will find Christ and the story is expanded. His kingdom coming in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm looking at a missions project at the moment. We're sort of toying with this idea of getting involved in a radio station that's broadcasting to the world's most unreached people group uh, that are sandwiched right now after Afghanistan fell that are sort of sandwiched between Afghanistan and the Taliban and, uh, and central northern Pakistan and they're sort of hated by both and they're pushed into the middle and, uh, and it's a revival if they see one person come to faith a year amongst these people. And I'm like, man, there's always a new field. There's always somewhere else to go. That's what this is about. Us loving, serving God, believing in the kingdom, laying our lives down for Jesus, whether that's in the marketplace to love on someone every day or whether that's simply ensuring that we continue to expand into our community, connect with our community and by all means, win some to Jesus. Does that seem to make sense? It's the heart of a disciple. It's a heart of faith. It's a heart of generosity. It's a heart that understands legacy that I want to leave something behind. This can't stop with me. It's got to keep going. And man, I realized that even more at 58. I tell you, when I first started preaching about generations, I was 29. And it makes so much more sense to me now than it ever did. I always knew it was true, but now I'm just, I am just—I see it unfold as we dedicate the grandchildren of people we're in youth group with. So, here's some questions. What am I doing right now that requires faith in God? Just a question. What am I doing right now that requires faith in God? Where, well, I actually need God for this. It's a good question because if, we, if we're not careful we fall back to, I've ticked the boxes, I've got the right beliefs. But we're not actually moving in faith. We have a faith, I'm just not moving in it. Just not doing anything about it. So what am I doing in life right now that I could say, that's a faith step for me? Second question is, how is what God has done in your life flowing out to touch others? Can you see it? And, and, and again, this is not to make us feel guilty or it's just where can I identify it and if I can't how could I be intentional to ensure that that's happening wherever I am that I'm breaking some new territory for goodness sake I joined a country music club you've got to be desperate to do that no you don't I love my country music it wasn't a sacrifice at all but you know what I mean for me I just want to be salt and light in the community it's really hard in my church office to be that last question am i investing in the next generation that simple am i investing in the next generation what am i doing to leave legacy i might not even enjoy it but leave a legacy for following generations i think they're all great discipleship heart questions